This month, our theme has been the incarnation. Of course, uh, the world celebrates the birth of Christ on December the 25th. Now, we know he wasn't actually born on December 25th, but as I said last week, we know that he was what? He was born. And we should celebrate his birth every week, every day. I thank God that he came and he was born, amen, and because of his birth and his death, we can be redeemed from the curse of the law. Isn't that an amen? Is that an amen? amen. Hallelujah. Well, last week we, we started on this topic, and this week I, I said we were going to go and look at some of the prophecies, and I think I have an exciting lesson for you this week. Amen. An exciting lesson for you. Amen. And we're going to start with the very first prophecy uh, that was given. And that's in Genesis, the very first prophecy that there was coming a deliverer, that there was coming someone who was going to fix the problem. Last week, we showed you the problem that God had when man uh, rebelled and when man sinned, that he lost his spirit covering, right? He lost his spirit covering. And the only way that God could fix the problem was to bring it himself. And that's why we showed that when he died, he said, into thy hands commend I my spirit. So that 50 days later, there could be an outpouring of that spirit covering, once again making us sons of God. Amen. And all of this was predicted in the Bible. I said the Bible is, is a unique uh, book because no other book to my knowledge has the, the prophecies and the, the specificities of prophecies that this book has. In fact, it's God's signature because it proves the validity of the Bible. So we're going to look at some of the prophecies and also some of the things that were prophecies that you didn't even know were prophecies because they weren't written prophecies, but they were acted out prophecies. Amen. So the first prophecy that there was going to be a deliverer that was going to be a savior is found in Genesis when God was speaking to the serpent, when God was speaking to Satan, he said this, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity. When God said that, that, that meant that there was now a state of war. The devil is not your friend. He does not like you. He can't hurt God. The only way he can get to God is, guess, through you. That's the only way he, he can't hurt God, but he can hurt God's children. And that's why he is angry and he is mad and he is determined to kill and to, to, to bring chaos and distress. It says, and I will put enmity. There was a declaration of war made in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Now, isn't that strange? Typically, we talk about men having seed, not a woman. Think about that. You see, this was a prophecy of the virgin birth. See, the woman having a seed. Normally, we don't speak about women having seed. They have the eggs, and it's the men who has the seed. But look what God says right here, that the seed of the woman. 
Because Jesus didn't need no help from a human father. The Bible said that the Holy Ghost was going to overshadow you so that the thing that was conceived of you would be called the Son of God. It was the seed of the woman. Isn't that awesome how God had planned this out? There was a song many years ago by the Winans, and it goes, it was not a a haphazard chance or a secondary thought, but it was the plan of God to redeem. He already formulated the plan of redemption from the moment that man fell. He had a plan in place. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Yes, Satan has had some success. He's been able to destroy quite a few people. He's been able to take a few people with him. You know, when people get mad, that's what they want to do. They want to take a few people with them. You know, as they used to be years ago, and I apologize to the postal service, but it became a thing to say someone was going postal. <laughs> you know, they got mad at work and they decide they're just going to go in there and take as many people as they could. That's Satan. He's gone postal. He wants to take as many people as he can with him. And he has bruised the heel. But guess what? In the end, the Bible says that he will be under our feet. Amen. He will be under our feet. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 says, And hath put all things, speaking about Jesus, under his feet. Amen. I want you today to just stamp your foot. Under his feet. Come on, one more time. Satan is under your feet. Amen. Amen. We need to do that sometimes. Speak that scripture and tell Satan, listen, you may have bruised my heel. You may have caused me some pain. You may have brought some stress into my life. But in the end, you're going to be under my feet. Amen. He told Abraham, everywhere you walk will be yours. Everywhere you walk, Abraham, in this land I'm giving you, everywhere your feet touches is going to belong to you. Isn't that awesome? I know that my parents, many years ago, when they were looking for this place, they, they marched around the house and they marched around this building because they, they took that scripture literally, that he has got to be under your feet. We have to take authority over Satan because the Bible says in Ephesians 1.22, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things. Now, Jesus is the head. Who are we? The church. And what is the church? The body. So if Jesus is the head, we're the body, and Satan is under the feet, so he's under our feet. Is that right? He's under our feet. Amen. Look at this in in Romans 16, 20. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan. What does it say? Under your feet shortly. Victory is coming. Deliverance is coming. Amen. It's coming. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. This was the very first prophecy. It puts Satan on notice. Listen, you think you've won. You you, you, you took away the, the spirit covering from my children. I had to remove them from the garden. They could no longer come into my presence because they would be destroyed. They never had that spirit covering because the Bible says that no flesh can see God. But the Bible also says that that he gave us the power to become sons of God, those that are what? Led by the Spirit. When Satan made man lose his spirit covering, he thought he had won. He thought now he had gotten control of that body. But in the end, you know what God said? 
I'm going to have to remove you from the garden, Adam, because I don't want Satan to have permanent control of that flesh. Bible says, lest he reach, stretch forth your hand and eat of the tree of life and do what? Imagine it was a mercy that God did that. Otherwise, we would be permanently trapped in these, in this flesh body of which most of the time we don't have good control. I thought I had control till someone made me mad. <laughs> right? You think you have control and then someone says a word to you and takes away your joy. What happened to that smiling, beautiful face a minute ago? See, you thought you had control. No, you don't. Paul says in Romans that neither can it be subject to the law of God. It can't be. He said, when I want to do good, evil is present. Because this flesh cannot be subject. And that's why it has to die. And that's why it turns back into what? Dust. For dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. And you know what he told the snake? Shall I tell you what the snake, he told the snake? He said, listen, you thought you were going to get a supernatural, immortal body. But here's what you're going to get. You're going to get dust. The body you thought you were going to get from mankind is going to turn to dust. And that's all you're going to end up with, snake, is dust. Amen. That's why when he told the disciples, when you go to a city and, and you preach and they won't receive you, what are you supposed to do? That's all Satan's going to get is the dust. Amen. That's all he's going to end up with is the dust. Amen. See, God had a plan of redemption and he started to give mankind revelation to his eventual plan. He needed to use, as I showed last week, the power of dominion of reproduction. So he had to come through a man. So he had to choose someone, someone to start a, a tribe, a nation. And we don't know how many people he may have asked that didn't respond. We see in Genesis chapter 12, when he called Abraham. And the way it says it is very interesting, because it's in the past tense. Now the Lord had said, meaning he had told him some time ago. You know, it's like when you talk to your children, you say, go clean up your room. And you wait an hour or two, and nothing has happened. Right? The Lord had said to Abraham, it may have taken Abraham a while to go do what God had called him to do. The Lord had said to Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And here's a prophecy. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. What an awesome promise. That's an awesome promise. I always tell you, put your hand on your heart and say, I'm blessed and highly favored. Say it like you mean it. I'm blessed and highly favored. Amen. In, that's what, that's what God, that's the blessing of Abraham. He said, listen, Abraham, if you will leave, if you will separate yourself, from the mess of Ur of the Chaldees. They were moon worshipers. They were idolaters. You have to come out of that. Because I want to bless you. I don't want to bless them. Sometimes God is waiting on us and we're waiting. Lord, why don't you bless me? Well, have you separated yourself? Have you put yourself in the place where the blessing can come to you? Are you dragging all of your heathen family around? <laughs> Oops, did I, did I cush, did I, did I step on someone's toe? I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Get thee out of thy country 
and from thy kindred. If they're not willing to do right, you have to do right. And from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Well, you know, Abraham was human and he kind of half obeyed. He did leave Ur of the Chaldees, but you know what he did? He took the whole family with him. Took his father, his grandmother, his, his nephew. They took all of them. And then they, they came and then they stopped. That's not what God had told him. He said, I want you to go into a land that I will show you. They came to this city called Haran and then they stopped right there. That's how a lot of people are on their Christian walk. God has called them out of a mess. They start and then they stop. They camp in one position. And then they wonder why God is no longer blessing them. God is not speaking to them. It took Abraham five years until his father died before he realized, listen, I need to keep moving. This is not what God called me to do. God did not call you to just stop on this journey. He called you to keep walking because everywhere you walk, he's going to be under your feet. Amen? And so this was another beginning of a prophecy that he said in verse, I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee. This was God's plan to eventually bring forth an heir, a new son of God. And God said in Genesis 17, 9, 19, and God said, to Sarah, uh, said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son. Now, from Genesis 12 to Genesis 17, where the promise of a son was 25 years. Now, why did it take God 25 years? And it really was Abraham's fault. God is wanting to bless us, but sometimes we're dragging our foot. We slow walking his obedience, right? We're not doing it to the fullness of our capability. So we delay God's blessing. Amen. It wasn't till he had completely separated himself from Lot and was by himself the way God had told him to, that he suddenly now, God said, listen, now I'm, I'm ready to give you the promise. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. Now I want you to notice that just like Jesus, Abraham and Sarah did not get to name Isaac. No, the Lord told them what his name should be. When God calls you, he is going to name you. He said, I will put my name upon you. In fact, nearly every biblical character, when God calls them, there is a name change. Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. Now, there wasn't a name change with Isaac because his name was given by God from the beginning. Jacob to what? Israel, right? Now, anyone know what Joshua's name was before his name was changed? Osea. There was a name change with Joshua. Moses' name was changed when he was drawn from the water. Right? His name was changed. That was not his name necessarily that his mother gave him, but his name was changed. When God calls you, there's going to be a name change. I could keep going, but you'll see that Solomon was not the name that the prophet was going to tell David to call him. Anyone know what his name was? Jephthah. Look it up. Nathan said his name was Jephthah. Now, maybe if David had stuck with that, maybe Solomon's uh, history might have been different. But every time God calls someone, he has a name change. Peter, that was not his name, was it? What was his name? 
Cephas, Simon, right? From now on, you are going to be Peter. Because you are, you are a, a part of a rock. P- uh, Peter means stone. Simon was his original name. Paul, that was not his name. Saul. Do you notice a pattern? When God calls you, he's going to change your name. Amen. We've all had a name change if you've been baptized in his name. Did you know that? When you went down in that water, I, I say I baptize you in the name of Jesus. The Bible says we have his name written on our foreheads. Isn't that awesome? I'm off topic here, but I just wanted to show you that when God calls someone, he puts his name. It's his name that he puts on it. He puts his name on Jerusalem. He says, that's my place. That's my city. His name on the tabernacle. His name on the temple. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name. That's the exact same words that the angel said to Mary. Thou shalt call his name. Do you notice this? And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. Now that's very important. It's very important that God said those words. And with his seed after him. Now he's referring to the man with the seed. You see the change here. And with his seed after him. Now why was that part of the prophecy important in the story of Abraham and Isaac? Anyone? Why was it important that God said, I will establish my covenant with him, who? Isaac, for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. I'll tell you why. Because a little while later, God was going to test Abraham. And he says this. Genesis 22.2. And he said, take now thy son. Now it says thine only son. That's strange. We know that Abraham had another son, didn't he? Who was the other son? Ishmael. Why does it say that only son? Think about it. That's right. Isaac was the son of the promise. Isaac was the supernatural birth. Isaac was the son of the free. Ishmael was the son of the bondwoman, symbolizing the law and grace. Take now thine only son, whom thou lovest. That's the first time in scripture that the word love is in the Bible, in Genesis 22. It's the first time that the word love is in the Bible, concerning the only son. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm putting the two scriptures because God was setting up a symbol. This was a prophecy through action. Abraham, what does Abraham mean? Abram, Ab, father. Father of many nations. Ham means nations. Abraham means father of many nations. The father, Abraham, was giving his only son. But it was a typology, it was a prophecy of what would happen through an action. Do you see what I'm saying? That our, the heavenly father was going to give his only son. God set this up as a type, as a fulfillment, a prophecy of what the Messiah was going to do, of what he intended to do, of the fact that he had chose this man, Abraham, and he wanted to test his faith. 
Now, how could Abraham do this? How could he hear this voice saying, now I want you to take your only son that you waited 25 years for that was the son of both you and Sarah, and I want you to take him three days journey and take him to this mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him. Like, that's crazy. But Lord, I was waiting 25 years for this son. What do you mean take him and sacrifice him? How could Abraham have gone through with this? Right, let's go back to the, to the first verse here. Let me go back to the verse here. In the promise, in the promise, in Genesis 17, 19, God had told him something that must have resonated with him. I will establish my covenant with him, who? Isaac, for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. God had told him that Isaac was going to have children. And he was going to make a covenant with Isaac that was everlasting. So Abraham must have put that together to mean that even if he dies, yet shall he live. The key to Abraham's faith is that he believed in the resurrection. Do you see that? God had told him that Isaac was going to have with his seed after him. So when God told him, now I want you to go and kill him, he believed so much, and it's written in Romans, that that, that was the key to his belief, that even if he did sacrifice, God was going to have to raise him back up because God made a promise. I tell you, if God makes you a promise, it cannot fail. It cannot fail. It will never fail. Take now thy son, whom thou lovest, Get thee into the land of Moriah. Now, where is Mount Moriah? Well, that, the name of that place then was Mount Moriah. Of course, today, it's known as Golgotha. He had told Abraham to take Isaac and to take him up onto the mount, which today is Gol where Jesus, 2,000 years later, was going to be crucified. You see, he was setting up a prophetic action through through what Abraham was going to do. You see how God has this thing all worked out? There's no other book that has these kind of stories that are prophetic in their fulfillment. Now, not only that, but the whole scene was set up because the Bible tells us stuff. And anything that's in the Bible is not for waste, not to take up space. It's, it's there to give us some information. It specifically says, Genesis 22, 23, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him. So let's see. There's a party of four altogether, right? You have the father and one donkey. Or at least the Bible only tells about Abraham was rich. He had camels galore. He had donkeys galore. Why would it be going on a three-day journey with four men and the Bible tells us he only takes one donkey? It's because, again, God was setting up a fulfillment. You see, when Jesus was crucified, there were two other people and the Father. Do you see the, the symbolically how Jesus... In Luke 19.30, when Jesus comes up to, to Jerusalem. Remember, up to this point, Jesus walked everywhere. 
But for the fulfillment of the prophecy, he tells his disciples in Luke 19.30, Go ye into the, into the village over against you, in which at your entering you shall find a colt, a donkey, tied wherein yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. Abraham, though he didn't know it, was fulfilling a prophecy. Do you see that? He takes one. When he sent his servant, he sent him with 10 camels. 10 camels. He could have easily um, had hundreds of donkeys. But for the fulfillment of this scripture, he takes one donkey and two men, symbolizing what Jesus did on his crucifixion. There were two men and the father and one donkey. Let's keep reading because this whole action is actually a prophecy of what would be fulfilled. Genesis 17, 19. We'll read the whole thing. How did Abraham go through this? It's because he remembered what God had told him when Isaac was going to be born. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So God had promised that Isaac would have a seed. So no matter what happened to Isaac, he was going to have to have a seed. Hebrews eleven seventeen explains it to us. By faith, let's say by faith, because this is the only way. It's not something you can see, but it's only by faith. Sometimes you can't see the answer except by faith. You have to believe it with your whole heart. By faith, because that made no sense. Lord, I've been praying for you to give me a son for 25 years. Now you want me to kill him? I bet you he didn't tell Sarah. I bet you he didn't tell no one what he was going to do. See, when God speaks to you, sometimes you got to keep it to yourself because it may sound crazy to someone else and they will talk you out of it. I'm sure he didn't tell Sarah. You what? <laughs> Can you imagine the fight that would have been if Sarah's, you, you're going to take our son and do what? <laughs> he told no one. Why? Because by faith, faith, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, fulfilling the symbology that God 2,000 years later was going to do. He gave his only son. And he had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son. You see how God set this up? I hope you can see this because it seems clear to me how God set this symbol up. It's a prophecy in an act of what God was going to do. The reason for the incarnation. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And here's the, here's the, the, the plain explanation how he was able to do it. Accounting... That God was what? Able to raise him up, even from the dead. When also he received him in a figure. What they're saying, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, in, in actuality, because of his faith, in actuality, that's what he got. He raised him up off of that altar as if from the dead. Symbolizing what would happen 2,000 years later on that same mountain. Because of what Abraham did, 
God was able to fulfill his part of the covenant. That was Abraham's part of the covenant. Are you willing to give me your only son? Because he was God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you my only son. Isn't that awesome? It was because he believed in the resurrection because of the promise of God. The Bible said he wavered not. Sometimes when things are hard, because of our flesh, we start to waver. Well, Lord, I know you said this was going to happen, but and we start to get a bit shaky. But the Bible said he wavered not. That's why he's called the father of those of faith. Amen? Abraham must have believed in the resurrection. It's actually the same thing with Job. No matter what Job was going through, although his children were killed, although he got sick, he said, one day I believe I will see him for myself. How could he? He said, in my own He believed in the resurrection. One day I'm going to see my Savior for myself. Do you believe that today? You have to believe that. This is the key. Amen. So now, even the time it took to get from where he was to Mount Moriah was the same time it took for, from the time Jesus came into Jerusalem and presented himself. He came in on Palm Sunday, right? Which was the 10th day of Nisan. Three and a half days later on the 14th on the Passover is when he was crucified. So look, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar. So it turned out it was three days journey for the father to take the son to the mountain where he was going to be offered up. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And now what? look at his faith. What is, he, what is the next words? And come again. Now he knows he's going to go and kill him, so how can he come again? <laughs> Because he believed that God was able to raise Isaac up. He says, listen, you two wait here. We're going up the mountain with the young man. And you stay here with the donkey. And and we will come again to you. Isn't that amazing? See how God planned it out? That's why the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to believe God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder that diligently seek him. That's the key today. That's the key about the incarnation. The wise men diligently sought him. They were looking for over two years. I'm ahead of myself here. So then Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon. He was, he was going to go through with this, you know. This wasn't some game. He was going to go through it because he believed even if he killed him, somehow, God was going to raise him up because God said he was going to have a seed. And he, God had made a covenant and God can't lie. And took the fire in his hand and a knife and they both of them together. Now, the other thing to understand that Isaac wasn't some baby. He was a teenager. He was probably 17 or 18 and he could have fought the father. At some point, he had to willingly let the father bind him and lay him on the altar. That's why the Bible says that he's looking for those who are living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. That's what God wants us. 
Isaac could have fought him. He wasn't a baby. He could have said, okay, I see where this is going. Are you crazy? I'm supposed to be the son you love. How could you do this? Last week, we, we talked about how when Jesus was in the garden, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. Isaac almost said the same thing. He said, I see the fire. I see the wood. But is there another sacrifice? <laughs> do you see that? And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and they both of them together. So Jesus rode into Jerusalem three days before the sacrifice. See, God was prophesying what he was going to do. But he wanted some man to accept the challenge and be willing to trust him. Once Abraham did that, Satan must have been going, what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm in trouble now because the covenant plan has started. It was a three-day journey. See, this was prophesied. We're talking about the prophecies of his incarnation. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the fall of an ass. This was prophesied. This was a prophecy of what Jesus would do three days before his crucifixion, fulfilled 2,000 years before by the other father, Abraham. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus? Behold the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And here again is Abraham's faith. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself. Himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they both went so they went both of them together. Now that place he called it a special name which we use a lot but we we misuse it really. He called the name of the place anyone know what he called the name of the place? Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. Genesis 22:14. And Abram called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh. The proper full name of it, it says, In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. What shall be provided? The sacrifice. I know we use it for God will provide, and yes, he will provide. But Abraham prophesied 2,000 years later on this very spot, In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided, or it will be seen. Remember, he said, God will provide himself the lamb, the sacrifice. What shall be provided? Well, it was that Jesus would be the, the lamb. In this mount, the, the real word Jehovah Jireh means, in this mount, the Lord shall provide. Luke twenty three thirty three. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand, and the other on the left. So Jesus was crucified on the very spot. 2,000 years later, where Abraham had been willing to give up 
his son. Isn't that awesome? So we see a, a, a succession of prophecies. We're talking about prophecies. First, there's a prophecy of the seed of the woman. Then God chooses a specific man, the prophecy to Abram, and he uses him to set up the prophecy of the son coming. And then many years later, when Israel is a nation, Moses gives them a more direct prophecy. Let's read it. Near his death, Moses started to give Israel warnings to keep the covenant. And this is what he told them in Deuteronomy 18.15. He gathered Israel around and he said, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from among the midst of thee of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him you shall hearken or you shall listen. So he, from that time on, Israel expected some kind of prophet, some kind of Messiah to come. They didn't know who or when, but from the time Moses said that, the belief that there would come a Messiah was in the nation of Israel. And so when John the Baptist came, the Pharisees sent out people to say, are you the one? And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He says this, and he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ, which means the anointed one. I am not, they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he answered, I, I am not. Art thou the prophet? And he answered, no. Now, in six, about 600 AD, when Muhammad got his revelation, supposedly from the angel Gabriel, he presented himself to the Jews as the Messiah. At that time in Saudi Arabia, there were Jewish tribes living, and he tried to present himself as the Messiah, really an antichrist. But of course, they didn't believe him. And because of that, then he, he made war on all the Jewish tribes that were in Saudi Arabia and wiped them out. You can That's a historical um, fact. You can just look it up. So there have been many who will come, Jesus said, and say, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Because they were looking for this Messiah. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So Moses was given the revelation that it was through Israel that there would come a Messiah. And I have left out many, many scriptures. But then Jacob got the revelation that it was going to be through the tribe of Judah in, in, in Genesis chapter 49. I didn't put it in here, but let me just read that. Genesis 49 uh, God reveals through to Jacob who, which tribe that the Messiah is going to come, come through. Uh, when he gathers all of his children and he's putting them, giving them his final blessings, and he gets to Judah and makes a great prophecy. In Genesis 49, and uh, let's see. Judah was the fourth son. By, by right, it should not have been Judah. Right? It should have been Reuben. But because of what Reuben did and because of what the other two brothers did when they killed all of the people to try and get back for um, Dinah, and I won't go into that, it fell to, it fell to Judah. And Judah was the only one who made a try to save Joseph. He was the one that says, don't kill him, but sell him to the, to the traders. So let me read it in, uh, if I can find it here. And it's, it's quite an amazing prophecy. 
49.10. Okay, thank you. Okay, yes. Starting from verse 49, he comes to Judah and he's been laying his hands on all of his sons and prophesying over them. And he comes to Judah and he says, you are a lion's cub because the symbol of Judah is a lion. You return from the prey. Like a lion, he couches, crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? Now here's the prophecy. The scepter, which means the rulership, will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he who comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. Now, it should have been that Judah from the time of Jacob would have been the line, but then Judah went and messed up. You know, he he, he disobeyed what God had told him to do with his son under the, under the rules. He was supposed to give his second son to his daughter when his first son had died. And he didn't do that. And eventually, he ended up sleeping with his daughter-in-law. And because of that, the promise was suspended. The promise of rulership of Israel was suspended. And, it, and if you look at it, it takes 10 generations because the curse was 10 generations. You count 10 generations from Judah, and who do you get to? When does the rulership come back into the, into the line of Judah? David. You see how God's word is true? 10 generations from Judah, you come to David. Starting with Rahab, she marries Salmon, who has Obed, who has Jesse, who has David. And then David becomes king. And the line of Judah now is established as the royal line. We're going to continue the prophecies because we won't get all of them today. I have to hurry, really hurry now. Of course, then this really famous prophecy that we read all the time at Christmas was given to the prophet Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, but he's not just some child. Unto us a son is given, and this son is going to be a, a ruler because it says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. This same child is the Mighty God. This same child is also the Everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, of the line of Judah, and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, verse 8 references back to the prophecy I read you. It says, the Lord sent a word. into Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel. Jacob on his deathbed prophesied it would be Judah from which the Messiah would come. So now let's break this down. I want to really, because this, this scripture is so, so definitive of the nature of who Jesus really is. First of all, we see that the child is born unto us, a son is given. And who is this person? Isaiah 7.14, our focus scripture for this whole series is, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall 
conceive and bear a son. And you shall call his name, meaning God with us. God with us. John, first chapter John says, he was in the world. The world was made by him. Who made the world in Genesis 1? So he was in the world. The world was made by him. And the world knew him not. It amazes me, God's humility and the, and the lengths he has gone to to save us. You know, if you were in glory, if you were in heaven, I mean, like, would you, would you go out of your way to save some ants? <laughs> I mean, we're as low as ants is. You know, the fact that God could love us. He says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the child that is born is God with us. And then there's more to his nature. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, what is that referring to? Well, it's referring to the Holy Spirit. This same child is the Wonderful Counselor. John 14, 25. This is Jesus. I have told you these things while I am still with you. But the comforter or the counselor, in trans, some translations, the Ruach HaKodesh, that means the, the, the breath of, of holiness or the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in whose name? What's Jesus? I said it. What's his name? <laughs> What's his name? So the Holy Spirit is coming in whose name? Are you sure about that? Whom the Father will send in my name. So when we baptize and we say we baptize you in the name of Jesus, we are baptizing in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and according to this, the name of the Holy Spirit. Because he will send the Holy Spirit in. If my name is Brownie, I hope all of my family's name is Brownie, or is there some, or there's going to be some problem there. <laughs> the Bible says, in whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other name. For there is none, under the, none other name under heaven given among men whereby we maybe, could be, a little bit, must be saved. I don't under, well it's just the devil. I don't understand how people can read the Bible and deny what it says, but I guess they still do. It says must be saved. There's no other name Given among men under heaven, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, whereby we must be saved. John 14, 16, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. But then he said, not another comforter, it's really me. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you're looking at him. He was claiming also to be the Holy Spirit because it neither sees him nor is it, but you know him for he dwells with you, meaning I'm with you now, but I'm going to be in you. You can't really get too much clearer than that. So his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And in John 14, 25, he says, but the counselor, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything that is. He will remind you of everything I have said to you. Then the final part of the name, that that same son would be the mighty God, the everlasting father. 
John 14, 8, in that same chapter, Philip says to him, listen, you keep talking about the Father. You keep saying about the Father. Who is this Father? Jesus says to Philip, Philip says unto him, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be, we'll be quiet. You keep talking about this Father and this is what Jesus said. He says, have I, he didn't say has he, he said, have I been so long time with you and yet you don't know who I am? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. So in that one scripture, we have the fulfillment that the, the baby that was born is both the Son, he's both the Holy Spirit, and he is the Father. It's just one of context. By that I mean, when I was talking to my father, I was talking in the role of son. When I'm talking to my children, I'm in the role of father, right? When I'm talking to my wife, I'm in the role of husband. But there's still only one of me. And that's the easy explanation of who God is. It's the one God who has manifested himself in different roles to bring forth his plan of salvation. It's the one God. He is the everlasting Father. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, John sees a vision of Jesus now in his glorified state. And he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is come. And then he says, I am the Almighty. <laughs> That's Jesus speaking. I had some Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door. And I showed them the scripture in Isaiah 9, 6, where it says that he's the mighty God. And they said, well, no, but he's not the almighty God. Because they believe Jesus is a God. They don't believe he's the God. So then when I took him to Revelation 1, 8, where it says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. They never came back. They never came back. It's a shame. I've not had any Jehovah's Witnesses visit me now for years. I, I think they have me down on their map. Don't call. Do not call. So the Son is Jesus, is the Spirit, is the Father. That's why in T Timothy it says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. Seen of angels, right? Received, the, and then it goes on, um, it said, that's right. And then received up into glory. It is a mystery how he could be both up there and down. But he's God. I'm not God. But he's God. Amen. So Jesus, the prophecy this time is explaining who the one who was going to come. It said God prepared himself a body. He said I sought for a man but found none to stand in the gap in Ezekiel 36. He had to come himself. Now let's go to the book of Esther. Because we're going we're gonna to look at a, and I'm going to try and get this done in five minutes, which is going to be hard. Because in the book of Esther, again, this is another story that is acting out a prophecy. This is acting out a prophecy. Well, you know the story. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was married with his wine, he commanded his seven princes, and I'm not going to say all the names, to go and get his, his wife to dance for them. To bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal to show the people and the princes her beauty. For she was fair to look on. But Queen Vashti 
refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth and his anger burned in him. So he decided he's going to get divorced, find himself a new wife. Find himself a new wife. Now, bear with me because this is a prophecy. So the king said to the wise men, which knew the times, for so was the king's manner towards all that knew, I want you to help me to find a new queen. Now, there's a backstory to this because this is the Persian Empire. Now, a few hundred years before that, do you know who was, it, who was a captive of the Persian Empire? Daniel. Daniel. Now, if you remember the story, he was trained to be one of the magi, the wise men. And when he told the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the meaning of his dream, Daniel was made the chief of the wise men. He was made the chief of the wise men. So now, a couple hundred years later, we have the next king. His name is Ahasuerus, or Xerxes in the Persian, but his name in the Bible is Ahasuerus. And he is now calling the same college of wise men that Daniel, a hundred years before, had been in charge of. And he says, listen, I want you to find me a new queen. Now, notice something in this, that the Bible in chapter 14 gives their names. Now, why did the Bible give their names? I told you before, the Bible never puts anything in there just to fill space. It seems like, like what, what, what do we care what their names were? Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Marys, Marcina, and Memuka. Why do we care what their names are? Well, when the Bible puts something in there, we should care. The seven princes of Persia and Media, which saw the king's face and which sat the first in the kingdom. I know I'm going to overrun today. What shall we do unto Queen Vashti according to the law? Because she hath not performed the commandment of the king. So you know the story. They went and they did a competition and they found her Hebrew name is Hadassah. But her Persian name is Esther. Anyone know what Esther means? A star. It's the Persian name for a star. Persia is east of Israel. A star in the east. So Daniel, remember, had been the head of the Magi. And of course, he was a worshiper of who? Jehovah. So no doubt he taught the Magi the prophecy that there was going to be a Messiah, a king of the Jews that was going to be born at some point. So now, some years later, we have Ahasuerus, and he consults with another set of wise men. The same uh, college of wise men which before Daniel had been in charge of. Now, this is again playing out a symbol because 600 years later, the wise men from Persia, from this same area, now come to King Herod's palace. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. Are you enjoying this? Because I am. <laughs> in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men. Where from? East. They were coming from Persia. They were the same college of wise men which hundreds of years before Daniel had been made the chief of. So we see now a parallel. The king Ahasuerus calls his wise men to find a star. Here, the wise men here are saying, we've seen a star. 
And we want to know where this king of the Jews is born. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. So now let's go back to the names of these seven, these seven princes. Because their names meaning tell a prophecy. Esther 114, the, the, the next time, the next to them was Karshena, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Meris, Marcina, and Memucan. The seven princes of Persia and Media, which saw the king's face and which sat the first in the kingdom. Karshena means illustrious, that means bright. Shethar means star. It's another word for star in Persian. Admatha means a testimony. testimony to them. Tarshish means a yellow diamond. Mary's means high. Marcina means worthy. Memucan means dignified. So when you put it together, it means illustrious star, a testimony to them, a yellow diamond high, worthy and dignified. Isn't that interesting? And now we see in the New Testament, Jesus is called the bright and morning star. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the, the root and the offspring of David and the bright and the morning star. You see, when the Bible puts this, is for a reason. These are all prophecies of what was going to happen, that the star, in the names of the, of the princes, it tells a story. Illustrious star, a testimony to them, a yellow diamond high, worthy, dignified. So now, the first fulfillment was when they chose Esther, whose name means star. Now in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shemai, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah. So this is going all the way back to Daniel. It's telling the story how there were Jews from the time of Daniel in Babylon. And he brought up Hadassah, which was her Jewish name, that is Esther, which is her Persian name, to be, and for she had neither father nor mother, and maid was fair and beautiful, who Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took to be his own daughter. And Esther means a star. So now the partial fulfillment is that there was a star, Esther, in the east. And through her three days of fasting, she delivered Israel. If you remember the story, right? Okay. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east. If you could stand, I'm not going to be able to finish this. You'll just have to come next week. Just have to come next week to get the rest of this because there's a lot more here. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? See, in the story of Esther, God had already put the plan of the star because that's her name. She was a star in the east. And the wise men had been told by Daniel to expect something. That's why they were looking. And so they were expecting a fulfillment of this in the time of Jesus. And that's why it says they came from the east. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when they gathered all the priests, they demanded of where Christ should be born. And they were able to look it up. Because it's in the Old Testament. Hundreds of years, hundreds of years before Christ was born, it says specifically, and there's no other book, Quran, 
Hindu scriptures. There's no other book like this where it has the the names telling where, how they told the wise because it was in the Bible hundreds of years before the event. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But thou Bethlehem, Epaphrata, thou though be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. The baby was from everlasting. In other words, the baby was God. I'll end with this. We still have more, but next week. The last chapter of Daniel. God is telling, Daniel is asking, when, when are these things going to be? And God is saying, they that be wise, remember the wise men, shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they shall turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. See, God is giving a little hint there. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand. But the wise will always understand. There were only two groups of people who knew of his first coming before it happened. The shepherds and the wise men. Maybe there will only be two groups of people that will be aware just before he's coming now. And we have to be the wise men. We have seen his star. I'll stop there because we, we ran out of time. But this plan has been in the making for thousands of years. It's not a, a myth. It's not a fable. But it's ingrained in the word of God. Amen. If you could bow your hearts with me. Father, we just thank you that you have had this plan. Lord God, and it is working out according to your plan, Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be aligned with your will. Lord, that we can be the wise virgins. Lord, that we will have oil in the lamp and in the vessel. That when that shout comes, behold, the bridegroom cometh. That we will be ready. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless our second service. Let your spirit have liberty to flow, to touch our hearts, to make us alive in you. Help us to see your star, to see your light shine in our hearts. We thank you and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Let's give God a praise offering this morning. Amen.